0: So last week we had a really cool conversation about bacterial language and how we could almost talk with bacteria using something called quorum sensing. Now, while this is a really, really cool idea, what would be even cooler is if we could use that language to get bacteria to help us out with some of our everyday tasks. We're going to go through this very idea on today's episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I am your host, Dr. K. Thank you so much for tuning in again today for another cool story here on episode 31 of this podcast. Uh, We have, guys, we have successfully made it well over half a year's worth of content, so huzzah for that. That is super cool. Um, I was actually telling one of my students just the other day, I'll probably just celebrate a year's worth of episodes by just blowing loudly on a kazoo for like, 52 seconds, and then I'll just end the episode right there. That's the current game plan. We will probably shift from that game plan as a way of not losing too many listeners. But in any event, while you are here, be sure to hit that follow button wherever you are listening on the podcast and be sure to keep up with even more science content um, by following our Instagram page at Science with Dr. K. Now, lately... Um, we have been talking about antibiotic resistance. We've been talking about antibiotic resistance for for some weeks now. Um, we've been, and we've been discussing ways that we can combat antibiotic resistance. Uh, we discussed a couple different technologies. We talked last week about uh, a new technology, or I guess it's not really a new technology. It's more like a, a feature of bacterial ecology, bacterial biochemistry, bacterial interactions um, that allows us to communicate and manipulate how bacteria behave. That feature um, that we discussed last week is called quorum sensing. And quorum sensing can be thought of a way that you can be thought of as a way that bacteria, which are really, really tiny, can do really, really big things by coordinating how they behave. Okay? By by simultaneously releasing little molecules out into their environment. And being on the lookout for these little molecules, bacteria can keep track of how many of their particular species are around. So, for example, if they sense that there's 10 molecules, 10 quorum-sensing molecules around, they'd infer that there are 5 bacteria. If there's 100 molecules around, they'll infer, oh, there's about 50 bacteria. If there's a billion molecules around, then they can infer that there are 500 million bacteria around, right? So they can keep track of how many of their own species Are located in their environment. Now, based off of this, bacteria can coordinate their behavior. They have some behavior, say virulence, um, movement, glowing. We discussed glowing last week. All these different behaviors, they can link up with their quorum sensing apparatus and they can activate that behavior once a certain threshold of a population is reached. Okay, so again, for example, the bacteria all agree, okay. We won't do anything if there's only 5,000 of us, but if we reach 6,000, then we'll all do this one thing, this one activity, this one behavior at the same time. It's a really, really cool mechanism, actually, and it's one of the fundamental ways that bacteria coordinate a lot that they do. Now, from our perspective, however, it might be more fun and honestly more applicable in terms of how we combat antibiotic resistance to relate quorum sensing to a language that bacteria have, right? If we can tap into quorum sensing mechanisms, if we can manipulate quorum sensing mechanisms, we can change or we can cause changes in bacterial behavior. Uh, We gave this example last week of how the bacteria vibrio fischeri. it measures how many of its species are around and once they reach a high concentration they all start glowing as a way of protecting um, its host the bobtail squid but here's an important question what if we artificially increase the amount of quorum sensing molecules in that localized environment where all the vibrio fisheri are living well, what would happen would be is the bacteria would think that there's tons and tons of bacteria around even if there's just a handful of bacteria present okay and that means that the bacteria would then try to do that coordinated group activity even if there were only a few of them present so they would all start glowing but there wouldn't be a whole lot of bacteria present right so there wouldn't be a whole lot of glowing and then that poor little bobtail squid would get eaten by by various bobtail squid predators now Dr. K, you say, catching on. I can see then how this would be applicable for something like medicine. If virulence, for example, can be regulated by something like quorum sensing, then could we get bacteria to mistime their pathogenic movement, their pathogenic attack by manipulating the amount of quorum sensing molecules? Yeah, that would be be the idea. If you could make bacteria think that they've completely overrun the host— you could, you could bait bacteria into starting to try and lice and burst human cells well before they actually have sufficient numbers to do so in an effective manner. So this would allow the immune system then to handle this really, really weak attack super easily. On the flip side then, you could also make a group of really strong bacteria think that they're actually really weak, right? You could make a bunch of really, really strong bacteria think that there's absolutely no one present in their environment, Right? And in theory, this could get them to hesitate a reaction or just never even start attacking human cells at all. So the main point being that if you can mess up the means of communication in a pathogenic bacteria, you can really mess up an attack strategy for such a pathogenic bacteria. Now, in fact, a technology where you could manipulate bacteria by manipulating their language it actually could then circumvent the need for antibiotics, right? If you could tell a bacteria that the environment is super uninhabitable, right, or if that it's it's not a good place to grow or something like this, then you prevent bacteria from ever wanting to stay or cause any mischief in a given environment, right? And that means if you can just tell bacteria, okay, you actually don't want to be here, it's not a great spot, you should probably leave, If you can get them to hear that and then just leave, then you never actually need to hit a bacteria with antibiotics. And if you never hit a bacteria with antibiotics, then you never cause that population bottleneck that we've talked about extensively that mediates this antibiotic resistance. Now. What's really, really cool is that while this is a super useful tool as it relates to antibiotic resistance, we can also use quorum sensing in a whole bunch of other ways, sometimes as a way of using bacteria to fight other diseases, diseases like cancer. Now, this is where uh, the paper that I wanted to share with you guys today comes in. It's a little bit of an older paper. It came out in uh, in 2016. Um, but even though it's a little old, it does have a really, really neat example of how you can use bacterial quorum sensing as a way of fighting um, something like cancer. So what does this look like? How do we go about using bacteria of all things as a way of fighting cancer? Now, in order to understand this, we need to have a little bit have a better understanding of what's actually happening in the bacteria in response to quorum sensing molecules. We touched on it a little bit last week, but we need to go a little bit deeper in order to understand that we need to have a better understanding of gene regulation. Now um, at several points over the course of the last handful of weeks, I think we've given, um, we've given this analogy of how blueprints of, of, of blueprints as a way of describing DNA, right? So the whole cell, it is like unto a building. The components of the cell, the windows, the doors, the computers, the chairs, et cetera, all of those components of the building, right? Those are like the proteins that make up the cell, right? All these proteins, all these different components of a building, they have different structures, they have different functions, okay? The DNA, or the genome in this case, it's like a collection of the total amount of blueprints that are used as instructions to know how to make each of those components, right? So again, the blueprint is to the chair as the gene is to the protein, right? And the total collection of the blueprints would be called the genome, right? Now, in a normal functional building, there needs to be a baseline amount of chairs, windows, doors, etc., right? You don't want to make too many chairs for your building. That would just be ridiculous. You just want to make the proper amount of, of chairs, right so that means then you have to have a way of ensuring that you don't read the chair blueprint too many times okay I'm going to say that again if you want to make the proper amount of chairs for a building you need to make sure that you're not reading the chair blueprint too many times otherwise you'll get too many chairs right so you have to have a way of ensuring that that is read the right amount of times in order to, and the while the that gets into the specifics of gene regulation which you aren't going to tackle, today but we might later i think the analogy still holds as far as it relates to the cell so you so just like you have to um, restrict the amount of times that you use and read the chair blueprint to make sure you don't make too many chairs you don't want to make too much of a specific protein so you have to have mechanisms in place to make sure that you don't read a specific gene too often okay so bracket that assume just keep that in mind that analogy that the, the blueprint is to the chair as the gene is to the protein. And just as you don't want to make too much of a given chair, right? you have to have mechanisms in place to make sure you don't read a particular blueprint too many times. Similarly, if you don't want to have too much of a given protein, you have to have mechanisms in place to make sure that you don't read a particular gene too many times. Now, that's like the baseline level of gene regulation in a cell. But now let's say... That this building, whichever building we're talking about, gets a message that it needs to change from whatever it was into a chair manufacturing plant. Right. So now we're going to make tons and tons of chairs. A couple of things are going to happen. First of all, now you have to change the amount of times that you read the chair blueprint. Right. Now you don't only need enough to make chairs for your building, you need enough to respond to that signal from the outside. You're getting a signal from the outside, hey, it's time for you to make a whole bunch of chairs. And so you have to change things so you read that chair blueprint more okay that's the first thing secondly you have to change the amount of times that you read some of these other blueprints as well right you don't have time or resources to make everything else at the same rate that you did before so that means that the chair blueprints are going to get read more and some of the other blueprints tend to get read less right This alteration in how the blueprints are read, the amount of times that we read one blueprint versus another blueprint, right? or in biology we would call this a genetic remodeling, it's very, very common in biology as a lot of cells will sense environmental cues and then have to respond accordingly by manipulating their gene expression, by changing the way that they're reading all of the blueprints. Okay. Now quorum sensing, bringing that whole thing back, quorum sensing is, is just like this. It passes an environmental cue from the exterior of the cell typically onto the interior of the cell. And then a genetic remodeling event occurs as the bacteria completely shifts its behavior in response to that environmental signal. Okay. That's a very, very big key point, right? Quorum sensing, um, you get the signal via quorum sensing, and then the bacteria changes its genetics in order to respond to that environment or environmental signal, Okay. Now, here's a big question then. What if you could artificially put a gene into bacteria and make that gene participate in that remodeling event, that genetic remodeling event, Right. Now, this is actually a very common thing that scientists can do in bacteria, right? They can edit the genome of a bacteria and make them make a new type of protein. It would be like, if, um, it'd be like if I took a blueprint, a big old set of blueprint, or a blueprint, excuse me, a blueprint for a jumbo jet, and then just stuck it into the building blueprints and then slapped a bookmark on that page so they made a whole bunch of jumbo jets in the building. Again, it's not a perfect analogy, but you get what I'm saying. It would be similar to like putting in a, a new blueprint into a, a bunch of blueprints and then forcing that building to read that blueprint over and over again. That's what that's what um, genetic engineering looks like in bacteria. Now, what this gets to into the story that I wanted to today. Now, this actually is, is very, very linked. So a group of researchers, what they wanted to do is they wanted to use quorum sensing as a way of synthesizing an anti-cancer drug, a chemotherapeutic. In order to do that, what they did is they took a gene that encoded that drug and put it into a group of bacteria, and then using a series of molecular biological genetic trickery and magic, which we may talk about on another day, uh, they linked the production of that anti-cancer drug up with those environmental sensors, those quorum-sensing proteins that kept track of the amount of bacteria present. Now, wait a minute, Dr. K, you say coming to the second realization of the day, does that mean... That the anti-cancer drug would only start being made if there are lots of bacteria around? Yes. Once bacteria realized that there were tons and tons of their species around, instead of glowing like in the squid we talked about last week, they would just start mass producing an anti-cancer drug. OK, super, super cool. But just mass producing a cancer drug isn't isn't good enough. In addition to mass producing a drug, a can, excuse me, an anti-cancer drug, the researchers needed some way to get the drug out of the bacteria. Now, a surprisingly simple way to get the insides of the bacteria on the outside is for bacteria to just burst their own cells. So realizing this, the researchers then linked up the quorum sensing apparatus, not only with production of anti-cancer drugs, but they also linked it up with a system that made the bacteria burst or lyse themselves, which means that at the end of the day, once the dust has settled and the researchers have finished editing the bejeebers out of the bacteria, they had made a a version of bacteria that number one would grow to a certain threshold. Number two would start making tons and tons of anti-cancer drugs. And number three, release all of those anti-cancer drugs by lysing itself. It's it's very very much like an anti-cancer bacterial time bomb. But what's even cooler than this is that not only is it a bacterial time bomb, but it's a cyclical bacterial time bomb. Remember that the production of the drug and the lysing of the bacteria are linked to how many bacteria are present. Which means then that if you if a bunch of bacteria all lice themselves and release the anti-cancer therapeutic into the environment, the amount of bacteria in that environment will decrease, meaning that the remaining bacteria will stop producing the drug, stop trying to lyse themselves, and they'll just start growing again, meaning then that you could have a repeated series of bacterial time bombs dropped on one cancerous location. And now I think you can start to see how this would be super beneficial for for people who have cancer, right? So what the researchers did is they took that bacteria and injected it into a cancerous tumor. And they were able to destroy whole bunches of cancer cells using this bacterial time bomb. In fact, also, it even helped some mice that had cancer survive for much, much longer. It was super, super cool. It's a really neat instance of how you could use genetic remodeling of a bacteria in conjunction with quorum sensing mechanisms. Not as, not as just a way of fighting antibiotic resistance, which is still huge, but also as a way of fighting other diseases like cancer. So um, let's recap this from the top. Number one, bacteria use quorum sensing to coordinate group behavior. Number two, scientists can influence bacterial behavior by influencing quorum sensing. Number three, quorum sensing works by causing a genetic remodeling in the bacteria that leads to a change in behavior. And finally, number four, scientists can induce interesting, crazy kinds of behaviors in bacteria by linking up the machinery of quorum sensing to new kinds of genes, new kinds of sets of blueprints. Now, at the end of the day, quorum sensing, it's a really, really cool mechanism. It's a, it's a language. It's, a, it's an instruction manual. It's a translating dictionary between us and bacteria. Um, and most importantly, it's a, it's a neat tool that we can use as a way of combating disease, both bacterial and even non-bacterial as we've seen today. Um, we've spent a whole lot of time over the past couple of weeks talking about antibiotic resistance, the way that it works, um, some ideas that researchers have come up with to try and handle it. Um, but it's important to note here that the battle is still very, very much far from over. Um, there's tons of things we have to overcome as it relates to antibiotic resistance. There's tons we have to learn as it uh, relates to antibiotic resistance. But it is still really cool to see some of the emerging technology that scientists are working with to try and not only understand bacteria better, but also control them better. So um, it is there that we will have to close the chapter for now uh, on antibiotic resistance. Um, We're going to shake things up a little bit next time and do a little bit of a deep dive on the history of a particular type of bacteria but I will have to leave you until then. Thank you again for everyone listening in today. I had a wonderful time. Hope you did as well. Hope each and every one of you has a beautiful and blessed day and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Short Stories Back to Your